Hello, listeners, and welcome to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we'll be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use disorders, resources to assist individuals with an SUD and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. This is our fifth episode of a six-month series where we have the privilege of hearing the story of someone thriving in long-term recovery. Each episode, we'll be speaking with a member of the COE about their journey and exploring the power of recovery. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Cindy Christie. Cindy is a woman in long-term recovery and works as the project manager for the COE's Coordinating Center. If you have attended any of our events or trainings, you probably already know of her. She is passionate about her own recovery and dedicated to serving others on their journey. Cindy wears many hats in both her professional and personal life, but there is always one that she never takes off, the one that asks, how can I help? In this episode, we have the honor of hearing her recovery story. Without further ado, let's get talking. listeners, I already mentioned this in the intro, but we do have a very special guest and I am biased because I have the privilege of working very closely with her. Um, But Cindy, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the listeners what you do at the center? I would love to. Thanks, Shannon. So my name is Cindy Christie. I am a woman in long-term recovery. My official title on the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is project manager. But mostly what I'd say I do, I coordinate trainings and all events, whether they're live or virtual, conference exhibiting, anything like that. Um, And we are a national network, so there is a bit of coordination that goes with that. And we get to work with wonderful people. I also update our website and I publish our monthly e-newsletter, The Recovery Reader. I think that covers it. For the people who don't know, Cindy, that is a very short list of exhausting <laughs> long list of things Cindy does. She wears many hats and man, if she doesn't know the answer, she knows someone who does. That's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's, it's my privilege. I, uh, I've been working here in our center for 14 years. So yeah, well, I'll just clarify. So when we say center, we're talking about the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence, but we are housed in the University of Missouri, Kansas City as part of the Collaborative to Advance Health Services. So for 14 years, you've been with the Collaborative. Right. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, no worries. So Cindy, where did your recovery journey begin? Oh, wow. We're going right to that. Okay. Um, We can start somewhere easier if you want. (laughs) No, that'll loosen me up just fine. Let's get right to the meat of it. (laughs) My recovery journey began in 1997. I'd say it was August. And I knew nothing about recovery, about 12-step, about any type of mutual aid or anything like that. I um, ended up in a non-medical detox for indigent people. And that was fun. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I didn't know what was in store for me at that time. And luckily enough, I was living in Southern California at the time and there had been funding to get people with a substance use disorder into treatment. So my first two years of my journey involved treatment a number of times and those treatments were 90 days and and I believe they were invaluable. I don't know what I would take away uh, from 
my recovery journey, but I did always manage to not stay abstinent after treatment. I also lived in sober living facilities, probably about five in a, in a span of two years. And I'll say original recovery anniversary was in 2000. And I kept that for a number of years. I made some poor choices and kept some secrets, and I went back to a relationship, which wasn't a good idea, and subsequently relapsed out of that. Things got pretty bad. That ended at the end of 2004. I was in a coma in a hospital, and the only organ that worked on my body was my heart. My family was around me. I have a very large family. All my brothers and sisters, I don't. I wasn't there. I'll never know what it felt like, but my folks have a very strong faith and they went to mass. And when they were on their way back to the hospital, they got a call saying that I was sitting up in a chair ready to talk to them. That's where this, my present and hopefully eternal (laughs) abstinence and uh, journey into recovery starts. So my last use of a substance was December 31st of 2004. Even your original date, I'm counting that, your recovery that. story. So, yeah, so I, yeah. that makes sense to me. So my recovery did start in 97. I just wasn't able to maintain abstinence. But everything I gained in those years, you know, helped me now. I felt like that first time around, I really immersed myself in 12-step, found a new way to live, uh, made friends, and life was going really good. Do you recall that first thought you had coming to after the coma? Well, I have a a lot of funny stories. I mean, the first (laughs) thing I thought was, why am I in Pittsburgh? Why is my (laughs) sister here? I wasn't anywhere near Pittsburgh, but I heard my sister's voice. No, I was pretty unaware of what happened to me. And I, you know, I just, you'll hear in recovery stories a lot that somebody will just say, something happened. Well, Mm -hmm. something happened. I'm not sure whether to define it as medical science, love for my family, a miracle. There's a lot of words for it, but something Mm -hmm. definitely happened. And I woke up and uh, with my siblings around me, um, wow, (laughs) excuse me, Um, I just, I had people bring a meeting to me in the hospital. I, my sister uh, read me, uh, it's called the big book. It's 12 step. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just knew in my heart that I had surrendered. I was done. I felt like a different person. I lost the desire to drink and I was mm-hmm. still a very sick person physically, but I did everything I was supposed to do by the people that recommended, (laughs) by the people that love and care for me. And it became really easy. So obviously my my, uh, path for recovery was Mm 12-step. And I'm grateful for that. I've learned a heck of a lot since then. Uh, I've been as we talked about here at the Collaborative, uh, mainly as part of the Addiction Technology Transfer Center uh, Network Coordinating Office. That's where I first got hired. And I will tell you a funny story about that. It was 
a woman that I greatly admire and she happened to be my sponsor sponsor and said I needed <laughs> to practice interviewing. So I had to go on this interview. And in my life, I worked in restaurants, bartender, uh, server, manager. I didn't even have an email account. So I came <laughs> I came to the interview and my colleagues will tell you that I came one day early. I did. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so kind that they didn't even point that out. So, you know, I'm so not sure about the other. Did they go ahead and have the interview? Yeah. Just They just pretended yes. it was the right. <laughs> it was. It was people that are still with us today. And uh, they interviewed me right there on the spot. So I'm not sure what that says about the other candidates, but it didn't bode well for my organizational style, <laughs> but I did get hired and I'm very grateful. It was, it's an, been an amazing journey being part of the ATTC and other TTC centers and all the funding that comes out of SAMHSA. Mm -hmm. Well, let's jump back closer to the beginning now. You so know what it was like, the scary stories. <laughs> As much as you want to share, but yeah, so you, so after the hospital being surrounded by loved ones, take us back there. Take right. Us I think I might've been confused. My, I originally before the hospital visit is when I made that poor decision. And mm -hmm. I think I was okay. close to four years abstinent at the time. And I had moved back East. So I didn't stay connected to anyone or anything. And to be honest with you, I know that their uh, depression, I'm, I'm clinically diagnosed. I'm, I don't mind saying that. And I was not mm -hmm. being treated for that. I went back. Alcohol has been my uh, drug of choice and was mm -hmm. very readily available. Uh, and that's what I chose to do. It was after that, I relapsed mm -hmm. from that. I came back and ended up uh, with my family surrounding me and woke up just with love pouring out everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> And so 12-step, you said, was a lot of the support that helped you through recovery. And Right. Right. I mean, I, I had lost everything. I mean, everything. Uh, I, at the time, I was, uh, my sister let me move in with her by the time I ended up in the hospital. But I was not employed nor employable. I was doing some odd jobs. I was working for my cousin. Uh, but I had lost everything and I lost jobs that I loved in very embarrassing ways. I didn't have a valid license, insurance, a car. So I, I didn't have a lot of the things you need to get your life started again. And it was insurmountable to me at the time. And that led itself into the depression. So, you know, a lot of times when we talk about destigmatizing substance use disorders, a lot of what we talk about is the accessibility piece for re-entry into, you know, those things we talk about, like getting a job, being able to afford your own housing. Talk to me and the listeners a little bit about how you navigated I'd that. I'd love to. I'll tell you a little bit about how I navigated it, but I'll tell you about one of the most wonderful places I ever visited. It was Anchor Recovery in Providence. It was a recovery community organization and um, was probably about five years ago. And it was amazing. You walked in the door, there was someone there to, uh, that you could talk to just uh, kind of on intake. They had different types of recovery meetings available. They had a person there helping with housing, uh, with jobs, uh, vocational services. 
if you're justice involved, they have people there to help you with that. It just was a, a one-stop shop for everything. And I know, I mean, I think we do have a, a list of RCOs on our current website, and I think it's around 230. And I hope that number reaches into the thousands soon. But, you know, you mentioned that, like reducing stigma, I think, is, is a, one of the a key role for the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. Um, I think what I'd like to say is everybody, well, not everybody, it's been my experience and from the experience of, of my friends in recovery that there's a, a window of time when you become ready to accept help. Uh, in 12-step circles, they call that a moment of clarity. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that moment doesn't coincide with resources being available. Mm. So just imagine how well a peer role would fit there. Say you went to the ER on an overdose, you'd wake up and there'd be someone there to talk to you and guide you. Um, if you were going in for other kind of primary care services and, you know, you were ready to ask your doctor for help, they'd have someone to to refer you to, um, to restart your life after incarceration. That's got to be terribly, I mean, I know the, the, what felt like insurmountable issues to get my life on back on track. But thankfully I had a, a fellowship of people around me, you know, that, helped me with that. And it was, you know, literally only biting off one small piece at a time. And I was, I started cleaning houses. (laughs) I remember hauling my sister's Dyson vacuum here down the middle of downtown Kansas City, (laughs) because that's what I, what I needed. Um, Stop laughing. I love, I love the vacuum story. I need you to back up and tell the whole story. (laughs) Okay. Okay. My sister's going to listen to this. Good. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's, we've so getting, surpassed the statute of limitations, I think. Okay, good. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm doing a commercial for Dyson, I swear to goodness. Um, not a sponsor. Personal recovery journey. Yes. No, no, not a sponsor. So um, my personal recovery journey is that I started doing little odd jobs, uh, started cleaning houses, uh, painting, uh, handyman work, anything anyone would give me. And uh, I got very good at cleaning houses. I didn't love the job, but one of the things that I made Shannon laugh on earlier is that I took my sister Dyson vacuum with me on all my house cleaning trips. And I didn't have a car, so I was taking the bus, taking my Dyson vacuum on the bus and through downtown Kansas City to go do <laughs> house cleaning. But I mean, each each little step, I ended up getting a job at um, as a administrative assistant at a Remax office. And I ended up getting insurance for that. So little steps that, you know, each one you know, was a building block to where I am now. And uh, the, the fruits of that, I mean, one of the things uh, working here at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, is they um, have employee assistance for school. And I was a college dropout seven times. And it was just something that 
it always irked me. I tried to let it go and say my life wouldn't be any different with a degree, but I decided to jump in about four years ago. It was very scary. Uh, I don't like to write, and I was doing mostly online classes, but again, I had help of the most wonderful people in the world, and I um, graduated with a bachelor's degree at the end of 2019 as a 60-year-old 60 60-year-old 60 woman, <laughs> so it took 42 years for that degree, and you know, my life hasn't changed a whole lot because of it, but I think... Well, I would say we certainly learn a lot about ourselves when we push our limits. And that was something that was just not even, you know, part of my outlook on life, you know. Mm -hmm. I can understand where you'd feel like maybe having the letters after your name or having that piece of paper may in the big picture not mean a lot or maybe it didn't change your life. But, but I think it is a great example of, you know, whether it is recovery from substance use disorder, or any sort of, you know, maybe it's a mental health challenge. It's, it's proof to yourself and it's empowerment that you can start and complete something. And I think, you know, whether it's a degree or whether it's a load of laundry, just those like small accomplishments that offer hope and empowerment. And I just think that's so huge. And um, you nailed so- it. You just completely <laughs> nailed it right there. That is, uh, I learned more about myself. Yeah. And I think everyone needs that in their lives. And I think, I think it is a, a value or a, a pillar of recovery is just those small steps to big accomplishments. Exactly. I have this big, gorgeous, amazing life that I never could have dreamed of. I mean, my the main, one of the main gifts is a relationship with my family that, that I hold really dear. Cindy, you do so well to speak about um, how much recovery has given you this big, gorgeous, wonderful life. Talk to me a little more about that. What other gifts has recovery given you? Oh my goodness. It's endless. It's just endless. Um, My relationships with family uh, my brothers and sisters, and I have a very large extended family too, but they were ready and willing to accept me back uh, on my terms, and they were very patient with me, and they're my go-to people. You know, I do have a group of friends that I rely on. Uh, they mean everything to me as well, but another part, I mean, I I don't think I was ever capable of being in a, in a relationship. I never felt like I had anything to offer anyone. And, you know, that proverbial, if you don't love yourself, you can't love anyone else. And Mm -hmm. I think that was true for me. And today I have an amazing relationship with my partner. We'll celebrate nine years of marriage this December. We've been together 16 years. So I've been abstinent for almost 17. So you can do the math there. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I was lucky enough to meet him in recovery. And, um, you know, it was just 10 years ago, you would have never, you would have knocked me over with a feather if that person was somebody that I would have been involved with. I didn't know what it looked like to have a healthy relationship. I didn't know how to wish for it because I didn't know it existed. Mm. And everything just unfolds beautifully in recovery in the time you're ready to accept it. 
another part of it is being able to hold a job and being responsible. I mean, who knew that responsibility was going to be the key to my happiness? I mean, <laughs> I was probably one of the most irresponsible people. Like I said, I didn't have a, a driver's license, uh, insurance. I never had health insurance. Um, you know, and getting those things back, having a valid driver's license, insurance, and a registered car all at the same time was a new deal for me. And those things, you know, they're material things, but they give you access to do so much more with your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just think that's hugely important. That has enabled me to come to work every day and be responsible and, you know, be able to learn new things at my job. Yeah. I really have loved everything you've had to say. One of the questions I always like to ask people who identify as in recovery, and you may have already touched on this, but what is recovery to you? If someone came That's to you That's a terrific said, question. <laughs> Cindy, what's recovery? What is that? You know, this is a hard one. I mean, there's the basic answer of simply everything. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, what I... What I want to say is absence of shame, although I find that hard to say because this is a diagnosis, substance use disorder, and there should not be shame around it. But with all the stigma there is, there is shame around that. And I, um, and it has been the reconnecting to my family, to my community. I never felt like part of a community. And I love living here in Kansas City. You know, it's kind of a more small town feel. I think, you know, recovery is being able to do the hard stuff. You know, we can do hard things and things I never thought I was capable of. Um, And it's also, it's a connection with something bigger, deeper, more powerful than me. I don't name that thing. You know, it's, you can call it spirituality, but I just, I like calling it a connection. And, uh that just, you know, keeps me going. I mean, all so many hopes and dreams I've had have already come true. Um, I am not the person I was 17 years ago. I am different. My brain works differently and um, much better. (laughs) Have there been any other pathways that have influenced your journey or ones that you've come to understand a little bit better? So as you probably have noticed, my pathway to recovery was through 12-step, and I had some pretty good blinders on because of that. I mean, from before I started working uh, at the Addiction Technology Transfer Center, my only foray into any type of recovery was 12-step, and I believed the dogma. I believed they were right, uh, so much so that I didn't think it was right to be on medication for uh, depression. And thankfully, because of the job that I got, I started learning about all the different pathways to recovery. And um, I'm not dissing 12-step at all. Uh, but I will say that I'm, I'm very grateful for all the pathways there are. And, um, you know, even in my own journey, it took a while for the uh, the stigma and the the blinders to come off. I was lucky enough to attend a uh, recovery coach training. I think it was a C-car training. And I remember sitting there and while I verbally 
can speak about believing in every pathway, especially medication-assisted treatment. Somewhere there was something inside of me thinking, you know, until they really, you know, (laughs) become abstinent. So I was judging everything in front of me. And, you know, the trainers were so great that I realized, oh my God, you're in recovery if you say you are. Recovery is whatever you need it to be. Mm -hmm. And the pathways, whether it's, uh, therapy, uh, faith-based, medication-assisted treatment, uh, spontaneous recovery, anything. It's all, all valuable and it's all real. And I, and I think that's one of the benefits of peers is they are well-versed in the pathways and can help their clients with options that might work better for them. Yeah. You know, it's just that simplicity and that hope of someone saying, yeah, me too. And exactly. Yeah. At any point in through your recovery, did you interact with a peer, some column recovery coaches, peer recovery specialists, peer support service specialists? Not officially, but some of my mm-hmm. friends that I've met along the way have definitely moved in that direction. And that, that just gives me so much hope for the future. I don't have the statistics, but in front of me, but something like 10% of the people that need, I think it's treatment, mm-hmm. have access to it. And, mm-hmm. you know, while mutual aid groups are great, they're still, I mean, we need more. We need research. We need to know what works. I've had family members that have asked me for help, and I've been able to tell them about some medications out there that might help them with mm-hmm. cravings. Um, a lot of the principles I used about meet them where they're at have worked well within my own family. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that our role at the uh, here at the Center of Excellence is to do everything we can to get peers trained uh, and give them resources that can help them do their work. I was in my 20s um, for the first time that I remember feeling the effects of a substance and it was alcohol and I was working at a restaurant and I was called in and I had just had my wisdom teeth pulled and the bartender was handing me uh, coffee cups full of a substance, which I found out later were kamikazes and I drank them and I did blackout that night uh, and I remember the next day walking into work, and as I walked into the bar area, they said, Cindy, wow, we didn't know you partied. And I said, neither did I. But my life completely changed uh, at that moment. I felt like I was one of the cool kids. I was invited out after work with everyone, and it was very apparent to me from the get-go that I seemed to need more than anybody else, and I was really aware of my consumption. I didn't want the night to end. I always wanted the other round. Um, But what went with that is my need to hide that. I was ashamed of it from an early age. So that was in my early 20s. And um, I was in my late 30s by the time um, uh, the wheels had come off. I was a daily drinker, round-the-clock drinker. Um, I used to pour my vodka in water bottles and (laughs) I was holding a job uh, not well walking around with a a water bottle that actually held vodka so um, thankfully there were consequences to my use Um, 
I was fired in very embarrassing ways. Um, I became unemployable. Uh, I ended up, uh, sadly, with a DUI. Um, you, that impacted me, but I did continue to drink and drive. And it was just a, a multitude of consequences that really led me to ask for help. And that help was, as I said, into a, a non-medical detox for indigent people. And I had burned all the bridges. I didn't have anyone else to turn to. Uh, I did actually, it was a cousin of mine that I called and she found this detox and I got on an airplane and showed up there. And from there, uh, was directed into, uh, 90 day treatment and I relapsed in there, uh, tried to hide it. So hiding my, uh, use was always a part of my, uh, story and, you know, my best thinking for a lot of years um, while I was trying to remain abstinent was going to meetings uh, intoxicated. And there was a lot of acceptance acceptance there. They asked me not to share. But um, I was, I didn't have a lot less to lose. What was left was my life. I lost my respectability. Um, as I said, there, you know, I didn't have a lot to offer anyone. And um Thankfully, there are people still out there uh, that will always have a door open for somebody when they want help. And uh, a woman reached out to me and said, I can't take you into the sober living until you uh, remain sober for 24 hours, but you're welcome as soon as that happens. And I think at that time, that was life-saving to me. I think I learned a lot about myself in those years, even though I uh, didn't stay abstinent, Um and when I was ready, there were people out there willing to help me. And I think that's one thing that is so huge for me about peers and about people working in this field, that all you have to do is ask for help and there will be somebody there. Um, and that's what I hope anybody listening to this takes away. Uh, you can ask your doctor, you can ask a family member, you can find a 12-step meeting. Please reach out and ask for somebody. So, Cindy, part of your work you've already mentioned is helping plan events and helping coordinate events. Um, you're much better at that than I am. And so <laughs> one of the many reasons I'm, I'm great. Sure. I'm, I'm better behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, this, this makes me a little bit nervous, but I am extremely passionate about Recovery Month. I don't think it's too strong to say that it did change my life. Um, Tell me more about that. I, yeah, I was lucky enough. I think it was, uh, 2009, the national recovery month event was in New York city and it was going to be a rally and a walk across the Brooklyn bridge, uh, and then, uh, culminate with some, uh, bands. Smokey Robinson was there and, you know, I had felt I'd worked within uh, the ATTC and I knew what it was, but I hadn't really connected all the dots on what it meant. And luckily enough, I was sent to attend this recovery month event in New York city. And I, my job was to tweet during it. And um, I'll just remember, I get goosebumps every time I think about it, but as I, I took my husband Mark with me and um we're waiting for things to get started and there was just this humongous 
crowd of people and they made signs and, and everybody was cheering. People were crying. Uh, it ended up being 10,000 people. And to me, that feeling was the exact opposite of shame. There was mm-hmm. so much hope and so much uh, love and camaraderie and just the feeling of being survivors in that group. And I wanted to experience that more and more and more. I mean, even there was an address from the president at the time. Uh, when we walked across the bridge, people were honking their horns. Everybody was holding up signs about their uh, length of, of recovery. It was a diverse group. It was just, you know, people from all walks of life. And uh, it was a day I love reliving in my mind. Um, I felt very blessed to be part of that. Um, we decided that that was uh, something we wanted to do in Kansas City. So I got to be part of organizing a um, recovery walk here in Kansas City for a few years. And uh, it was called the uh, Mike Johnson Memorial Walk for Recovery, named after a good friend of ours uh, whose son had passed away from this disease. So recovery much is so much bigger than I ever, ever realized. And there are events, well, worldwide, it's no longer just National Recovery Month, it's international. Mm -hmm. But there are, I mean, walks, rallies, educational events, there's art shows, anything you can do socially, you can put a uh, Recovery Month label and do it in the name of recovery. I talked about, you know, being responsible. The only one I I was trying to get in, one of my favorite sayings is from basically my best friend and how she describes her recovery is that she used to live in an ashtray and now she lives in National Geographic. And (laughs) that just makes perfect sense to me. My life was gray and dull and dingy and small and shallow and you wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> it didn't smell good either. And uh, now the the colors and just the, the world has opened up. I mean, I've got to do things and travel places I've only dreamed about. And, uh, you know, I, my life, you know, may not be spectacular in terms of, you know, everyday people, but to me, it's everything. I like that. I was trying to really pull family in there and I hope I conveyed how much it means to me. Um, I was the irresponsible one in my family. I was the one that, you know, missed planes and didn't show up for reunions. And today I get to be present for them. I get to show up and do some of the hard stuff. I lost a brother uh, 10 years ago to cancer and I, uh, one of the gifts of, recovery is being able to be there for him uh, throughout his illness. And um, that just means everything to me. I'm uh, I'm the fifth of six children. I have a younger sister <laughs> who I just got to spend a week with and her kids. And um, it was one of the best weeks of my life. Nothing can top that. I mean, family to me, family and my relationship with my husband, which is family as well. Uh, I have four-legged children, (laughs) but uh, it's hard to believe that I I live without that for so long. It's just such a source of 
pure joy. You know, the people that get you from birth and, you know, have been through everything with you. And that, you know, recovery has given me that back. Cindy, thank you so much for being here today and for showing up and for sharing your story. I know public speaking, even though podcast is seems a little not like public speaking, but I get it. I do. I know it's not your favorite. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor being asked to do this. I, I really want to do justice to the Center of Excellence. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org or wherever else you find your podcasts. Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.